success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. Our world is always so rush, rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new show of Might Radio. We have a distinguished guest, and her name is Lisa Ford Berry, and she has uh, created a society called Brave. Bullies really are violating everyone, and she started the society from heartache, and I'm going to let her tell you yourself, but before I'm going to give Lisa a chance to talk, I just want you all to understand that life changes in a blink of an eye. Most people don't believe me when I say that to them, and we need to cherish it while we have it. And the story of Lisa is truly an example of her life changing in just one blink. Hi, Lisa, and welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Tell me a little bit about your story and how come that you decided to create this society out of your heartache? Well, I think like with most of us, we have our children and they are our greatest blessings. And uh, we can't envision anything ever happening to them. With my son, I have two boys, Robert and Michael, and um, with our youngest son, Michael, he shot himself on his 17th birthday, which was September 15th, 2008. And, uh, you know, we had his birthday party Sunday, the night before, because his birthday was on a Monday. And I got up that Monday, like any other Monday, you know, when you have a house full of kids, because I drove carpool. So everybody came to my house to get dispersed to school. So I watched... All the kids leave thinking to myself, okay, I have a meeting, I have a conference call, I want to wrap up early so I can make sure I'm home in time when the boys get home because Michael and I were going to the Cheesecake Factory to pick up his cheesecake. Even though we'd had the birthday party the night before, we were still going to do just a, you know, fam- an intimate family thing. Three hours after I watched my boys drive off, I got a phone call from Mercy San Juan Hospital telling me that Michael was in the hospital from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And I thought as the talking, my gosh, they have called the wrong family. And I immediately said, you know what, not to cut you off, but I think, I think you've called the wrong family. And the person calling me said, are you Lisa Berry? And I said, I am. And He said, do you have a son named Michael Berry? And I said, well, his name is Michael Joseph Berry. And he said, okay, Uh, he's 15. And I said, no, today's his 17th birthday. I said, I think you've got us mixed up with someone else. And he said, he goes to Maryland High School. He's a junior. And I said, yes. And he said, you need to get up here. And, um, So, you know, I hung up, and I thought 
to myself very calmly. I thought, okay, I called my husband. And I thought I was relaying the information and very much like I'm talking to you. And my husband, it was, you know, days later when he said to me, you were screaming hysterically in the phone. He said, at least I couldn't understand anything you said. He said, I just knew something terrible had happened. So my husband's boss drove my husband to the hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we all, you know, we got there in the hospital, you know, less than, I mean, it's like, I don't know, four miles from our house. So when we all rushed up there, um, we came through in the in the waiting room, like with most emergency rooms, you know, a standing room only. And I thought, oh, wow, I wonder if we're going to have to, you know, wait in here. So we went in, we checked in, and immediately, you know, police swarmed out, and they took us behind where all the, the trauma waiting room was, and we had to wait. And I can remember waiting and thinking, this is not happening to us. You know, these things do not happen to your just average middle-class families who, you know, we all have this, like, internal idea that if you stay married, you live in the same neighborhood, you go to the same church, you shop at the same grocery stores, you know the same people, basically, we live this very stable Norman Rock, yeah, very stable, exactly, stable very stable, but, yeah. but very Norman Rockwellish. I mean, the area we live in, everything about it harkens back to a very traditional, happy time. So as my husband and I sat there with my mom and, you know, by now all of our friends and family, I mean, everyone is, is flocking in. And um, the uh, trauma surgeon came out and took Bob and I out. And even, I mean, and this is the part of the story I really never get a chance to talk about, but even then, my husband and I, we did not expect to see Michael. We still expected someone to tell us, we are so sorry. We, you know, we contacted you by mistake. So then when we went back to where Michael was, and of course, there was our son, we thought, oh my God, we don't even own a gun. So of course, we're thinking, Michael didn't do this to himself. Someone shot him. So then it became mm-hmm. this, how does something like this happen in one of the best schools, not just in our area, but in the country? And, you know, you think of all the public schools in the United States, Mariloma is ranked in the top 200 in the entire country. So I'm thinking, okay. how? No, how did, you know, I just, I couldn't. There, there, there he lay. And I thought, my husband, I mean, it was just like, you know, when some, when the lights go out very quick, there's a power outage and it goes from being very light and bright and you can just see all the color and you have this sense of peace and you feel you're in control of it. Then the lights mm-hmm. go out. That's what it was like. It was like someone, the power went out, someone turned the lights out in the reality of what we were left to deal with. Even now, yeah. four years later, I mm-hmm. think this, this, you can't prepare for it. And as we tried you know, we talked to the police, and they said, the, you know, because everyone kept just saying, I mean, from the beginning, we were stonewalled to the truth. And mm-hmm. finally, when my husband and I were like, someone shot him. He, I said, I've raised my son 
to believe in the sanctity of life. My boy would not do this. You would just have to know. I mean, he was a straight-A, honorable, stand-out kid. I mean, people used to say to me, Lisa, you should write a book on parenting. And, of course, I used to think to myself, really, I should, because look at my boys. They are phenomenal. I mean, they are the kind of kids that you just know are going to grow up and be wonderful men. So as we, the the sheriff, because my, you know, we just didn't believe it. And he brought out four notes, and he said, we found these in Michael's wallet. And so we read them, and they, you know, one note was to my mom, and uh, one note was to his brother, and one note was to his dad and I, and one note was about school. And as we read, you know, the notes to each of us, you know, were exactly what I would have expected how much he loved us, how sorry, and, you know, and I just thought, and then the note about school, I thought, what in the world is he talking about? So when the sheriff asked me, he said, no one seemed, you know, do you know what this means? And I said, no. I said, Michael is a great student. He has a lot of friends. I said, he's very popular. He's extremely well-liked. I said, there's no behavior, no mental illness issues. I said, no drugs, no alcohol. I said, you can't imagine what a great kid he is. And um, so then we got through the funeral and all the business of closing out someone's life. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to tell you, when you have to do that to your child, there is nothing more difficult. And, uh, and I kept asking the police, are you sure... Michael didn't leave a letter. Are you sure? I said, my boys are communicators. You know, that is a trait they have from me. They have their kindness and all of these wonderful things they get from my husband, my mom. But the ability to communicate, my son got that from me. And I said, I can't for the life of me believe that Michael would do something like this and then not lay out the reasoning what was going on in his mind. So this that went on for two months until finally I sent off for the police report because I just felt in my heart that what they were telling me wasn't true. And in the meantime, while we're, you know, doing the police report aspects of this, my husband and I are up at that school all day long, all the time, trying to, because I knew the fact from, that Michael shot himself not just on his birthday, but he did it at school in such a public fashion. There, there was a reason for that. Like, you know, I said, he didn't come home and do this. I said, he planned this with the strategic attention to detail that Michael was just known for. And um, so, you know, fast forwarding all the way through, we get the police report. And in the police report, they talk about this letter. So for two months, I have been begging for answers from the police, from the school, from... And you had never seen this letter, right? We had never seen this letter. Wow. So Michael and Toll left four notes, and he left a a two-and-a-half-page handwritten letter to his dad and I. And when we got that, and while all of this was going on, at the same time, my husband, because Michael had changed all his passcodes, so, you know, like the experts say, Q 
keep the laptop in common or the computer in a common area. Well, we did that. There are no electronics in the, except their alarm clocks in their bedroom. The computers were, I mean, in a common area. And my husband, I mean, there was nothing going on in those computers that my husband didn't know about. Uh, so it's like, okay, we did that. So how? I mean, what the heck? So after we got into his text messaging on his phone and his other emails tied to his phone that were not tied to the computer at home, okay, that is when we realized that Michael had been under siege, that Michael had been abused, tormented, stalked at school, that the text messaging, the posting on his MySpace, the emails, all of this, and it was all right there on the little phone. You know, as I say, the phone is like a little baby computer in your pocket, and that we, we never checked because we didn't think about it. It's a telephone. And, um, so as but all it, of that. But it is a mini computer. It, really it is a, is. oh, uh, listen, four years later, let me just tell you, it's a whole different can of worms when I talk to parents about the phone. But yeah. four years ago, this is how I learned about the phone. You protect the computer at your home. You protect who comes into your home. You, you protect who your children associate with. All these things that you protect your children against. Yeah. And the phone is the one thing that this generation is never without. And I never, in my wildest dream, I mean, my husband and I, we weren't on MySpace or Facebook or any of that. So we were out of the loop on the whole social media thing. And um, Like most parents. Yeah. Let's be honest, like most parents. You know what? Now, I'm a walking expert on it, but I tell her, <laughs> you don't want to be an expert the way no, I became an no. expert. Lisa, hold that thought. I know you. it's, it's heart-wrenching to hear your story, but, you know, Lisa, it's so important what you do because there's so many parents out there clueless, and mm -hmm. so I, I think this is really important, but we have to go quickly into a commercial break. You know how okay. it is, and we'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv you are tuned in to Mite Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, 
Back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. We are, if you're just joining us, we are with the guest Lisa Ford Berry, and she has a heart-wrenching story about a son who committed suicide, bully side, due to being bullied at school. And she is just going to tell us a little bit more about there were no signs at all, were there? No. And that, too many times, this is probably my biggest, biggest issue with all the mental health aspects of this. Because so many times when our mental health professionals discuss this, they immediately want to discuss it from a mental health standpoint. And they want to talk about as if everybody that like this list, this checklist, you know, they say, watch for these signs. You know, educators say, watch for these signs. Everybody acts like there is this sign going on. And I am here to tell you, as I watched, as I held my child on his birthday, take his last breaths of life, we had to take Michael off of life support. Okay. My child had no sign. There was nothing to indicate that Michael was in jeopardy, that Michael was planning to do something like this. Because I'm telling you, had I even have sniffed out, I mean, just anything. Yeah, and, you would have been on it. I oh, know are you kidding? <laughs> you know, this is the part. This, this is where... What drives my desire, my need to ensure that this doesn't happen to other families, that another family does not become us. And when people say that to me, I get it. I get it in a way. It doesn't hurt my feelings because, like I tell people, I stand before people emotionally naked as a cautionary tale to say, I don't want anyone to end up like us. And that's why I do this. But the but, idea that our kids can break, that this is cause and effect. You, we don't have any difficulties understanding abuse and what drives it in adults and how people can break. And yet we seem to think our children aren't breakable. And our kids are so breakable. And then when you throw in the abuse, and that's what we're talking about here. This is abusive behavior driven peer on peer. And, and how long was was this behavior? How and Michael, long was he being abused and bullied? In Michael's case, um, mm-hmm. based on the uh, the electronic trail that we found on his telephone, okay, uh, it started when school started. He, there was one, I say one, but as I say, one person started this. And at yeah, the end it's of always it, 2,000 people participated. And um, my child's life was systematically dismantled. Okay, but I'm, I'm backing up for a second. His birthday oh, okay. was September 15th? Yes, right? he shot himself and on September 15th. But the bullying was prior to that school year? No, the bullying started, school started August 18th. August 18th. Okay, that's what August I August 18th. And, okay. um, and, the, and the person who started this 
was in Michael's fourth period class. He sat right behind him. And, and do you feel that, that's a question that I have for you, do you feel that Michael did it on purpose at school? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he did. He, yeah. oh, he absolutely did. Okay. No, but I want for the listeners, for them to really understand this, that, I mean, I, I suppose it was against the bully, no? Yes, because, see, the part, this is the part that people have to understand. Michael reported it. Michael followed San Juan Unified School District policy to a T. He followed Mariloma policy to a T. He reported it. He went to his counselors on three separate occasions. They shooed him away and refused to address the issue because in California, the first month of school, they only deal with schedule changes for at-risk students. Sure. You know, kids that meet or after they test and they find out, oh, hey, we got you in the wrong class. Mm -hmm. So Michael was trying to get his schedule changed to get away from this student. Then when the counselors would not help Michael, well, let me make a note here. In public education in California, when I use the word counselors, I'm not talking about therapy counselors. No, of course. Strictly for schedule changing, that kind of thing. Anyways, yeah, okay. they refused to help Michael. So then Michael went and made an appointment with the vice principal, had a confirmed appointment, showed up to the appointment, and the vice principal stood Michael up. Michael then circled back to his fourth period teacher, and she told him to ignore it. And I believe that's when Michael broke. Yeah. So Michael, and through this month of Michael dealing with this, no one at school called my husband and I. So every morning, but I'm you, watching you, my you'd child. You'd expect the principal to call. I, well, exactly. Every I'd morning, I'm watching my child to, leave. To, to be interested why uh, an honor student that never has anything suddenly wants to see the principal. Right. I mean, you, well, you'd expect that. Gabriella, but, like I tell everyone, you know what? If you didn't care, I care. Why didn't someone call me? You people could call me when you needed me to drive somewhere, when you needed me to, I kid you not, sell more wrapping paper for fundraisers to sell more cookie dough. To, I mean, they called me for such stupid things over the years, and I never said no. And you can't call me to tell me my important. child is frantic? Do you think it's due because there, there are two things that that I'm going to ask you in this one question. Do you think it's due that the edu educators, that they're not enough around to actually really help with these problems? And I, two, oh, go on. And two, um, the blame game, because I listen to a lot of your YouTube uh, segments, and you're the only one that I know that touches on this blame game, because when I go in schools, they all blame each other. Absolutely. And that doesn't help anything because we're, nope. we're there to help the children. Exactly. It's counterproductive. It's totally counterproductive. But, but you know what? The children know that they can't go to anyone. So who, right. who can they truly go to? Well, and you know, I think, um, like in Michael's case, I think yes. it came down to teachers are so focused on dealing with the behavioral issues, the at-risk issues, they can they can scope that stuff out a mile wide, and they know how to respond. But when an all-around great kid comes to you, I think 
in, in brutal honesty and, and to be as fair as I humanly know how to be, I think because Michael was just really the standout guy. They thought, okay. you know what, he can wait. We have to take care of these kids first, that if we don't get them in the right class, they're not going to graduate. Uh-huh. And I think, I think that's what happened. I don't think they did it to be malicious. I don't think they did it because they don't care. Um, and the teacher in question, I know her. She had my other child. She's a great teacher. Did she blow it in Michael's case? Absolutely. But I think a lot of it has to do with training. Yeah. And And what do you do when it's a a great kid? Did did that at all, did he know anything? My my oldest son? No. Yeah. No. Wow. Amazing. And you know what? I, this uh, summer, was speaking at American River College, and, and afterwards this young man came up and said to me, I graduated in the class of 2010 at Mariloma, which was Michael's class. And he said, he said, Mrs. Barry, I didn't know Michael that well. He said, but one of my best friends was one of Michael's best friends. And he said, I want you to know what I've learned. And he said, every time when someone says something mean to someone else and people are like, oh, hey, man, I'm just joking or I'm just, and he gave different examples. He said, I always say something now. And he said, I feel so badly because everyone knew what was going on with Michael. He said, no one thought he would do anything like that. And he said, I will never make that mistake again. This is a 21-year-old kid. So I think, okay, change is going to happen. And it's happened in a horrible way for my family. But that's how we have to look at this. We have to take tragedies that break your heart, that mm-hmm. in a lot of cases break families. And we, I can't just sit around and do nothing. My child's life and death has to resonate so people can think, oh, my God, I need to ask more pointed questions. Because we assume if our kids aren't telling us things and everything on the surface looks good, Mm-hmm. We assume all is well. Yeah. And I was, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, like in Michael's case, you know, so much of the uh, signs, they say, well, if your child's grades go down, well, you know what? My son's grades didn't go down. We got Michael's report card four days. He shot himself on the 15th. We took him off of life support on the 16th, which was a Tuesday. Michael's report card showed up Saturday, and Michael had all A's and all outstanding citizenship, which was his report card for his entire life. He was a straight-A honorable student. So this idea that, oh, your grades are going to go down, or the other one where they say, if your child starts giving away his belongings, nope, Michael didn't give anything away. If your child is withdrawn, nope, Michael wasn't. You know, all these things, and I think... All the, all the normal signs. Yeah, but, but as you know, I always talk about my three-step, but in the first step, the children at school knew. Yes, the, they the did. The children in this class knew. So that young boy that you were just talking about of 21 that came up to you, he learned the valuable lesson that a bystander is um, is complacent and let lets it happen, whereas yes. he just learned to become an active witness through a tragedy. Right, right. 
that. And I'm telling parents that even if there are no signs, why don't you go from time to time to talk to a teacher? Because a teacher mm -hmm. is a wealth of information. It, you know what? And I'll also do you one better. One of my dearest yes. friends who, I've, you know, we've always known each other, but after Michael's death, we have become very good friends. She was Michael's favorite teacher. And, I mean, she was one of these strict, no-nonsense, because Michael was a no-nonsense kind of kid. And uh, her classroom was right next door to where all the abuse was happening. And I, if I could get teachers to understand anything, had this have happened in Valinda's class, Michael wouldn't even have had to be the first to say something. She would have been all over it like nobody's business. I would have gotten a phone call. I mean, it would have been handled in the classroom. And that's what teachers need to, they hold this power. You know, in California, teachers are responsible for, for what happens in their four walls. All discipline and all that kind of business mm -hmm. happens up at the, you know, up in the office. So I think, and I think sometimes the classroom size, <coughs> excuse me, the classroom sizes are too big. I think we have, in this country, hyper-focused on test results, which disassociates from the emotional well-being, the resiliency. And I think then when you throw in, okay, as kids grow up, that yearning to be more independent from their families, make their own decisions, I believe that Michael, honest to God, when all this started, thought he could take care of it himself and that he didn't need me coming up there. I, I agree. I, as, as a victim from my own past, I, have, I say it all the time. We really believe we can fix it. Yes. And we can't. And we also believe that it goes away. And, yes. and, and it doesn't. So I want children especially to listen to that. It doesn't go away. But we, we, we have this sort of attitude. We need to learn to stand up for ourselves. And at his age, your son's age, Michael, he must have thought, well, I'm, I'm almost 17 and I need to, I need to see if I can handle this. Yeah. You know, and you, you kind of really feel that way. But I think you also feel that way when you're seven. You, oh, you really absolutely. don't want your parents to know. Well, and I think because I have, such a strong personality, and when it came to my children, I used to tell everybody, I am the captain of Team Barry. I have not abdicated any of my responsibilities. I am their mother, okay. and I was up there for everything, and I was not a uh, free-range parent, and I think when my kids were little, they loved that. They knew, and I think as they got older, they wanted to be able to stand on their own two feet as grown men. Yeah. And while that's all fine and dandy, I look at my oldest son who has grown into this wonderful young man. But, and Michael was well on his way as well, but he didn't have the emotional maturity. How, when you are not prepared for meanness, when you have never in your life been mistreated, when you've never had anyone talk to you like that, How do you prepare yourself for it? And and if I, as I reflect on all of this, and I spend an exorbitant amount of time thinking about these things and trying to help others, my son 
was not prepared for the cruelty of life. He wasn't prepared for the meanness, which is what drive the new programs that we are um, releasing in 2013, all about resiliency, how to create confident adolescents so they grow up to be these caring adults, and how do we prepare our kids for this meanness that is society, because this is a societal problem. But don't forget, uh, Michael might not have seen it in the home, but many children do see it at the base of the home, and they see yes. it in the school, and they, they see it continuously everywhere. Let's yes. hold that thought for a commercial. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the bully itself and if anything was done to punish sure. him or to go the level further, and let's talk a little bit more about cyberbullying. Everyone stay tuned. We're just going into a commercial break. on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things. And together, you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. tuned in to might radio do you have a question or comment for our show perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness please send an email to gabriella von ray at gmail.com that's g-a-b-r-i-e-l-l-a-v-a-n-r-i-j at gmail.com now back to might radio with gabriella von ray Hi, everyone, and welcome back. We're still with Lisa Ford Berry and her story about her son, Michael. And I would love to ask you a little bit more about the bully because we're all very curious if you had either a chance to talk to him, I presume it's a him, and uh, if there was any consequences for this young man for his actions. No. Um, when we went up to school, it was our last meeting. And uh, and by now, it was a couple of months, you know, after Michael was gone. And we went up to let her know, I mean, with all this information to say, this is what happened, you know. And, uh, and of course, I want to be real clear. The school denied everything, just, I mean, all the way through. And um, so as we, you know, printed things off, took it up there, gave names, her response to me was, uh, Lisa, what in the world do you hope to accomplish by dragging in another student? Nothing will bring Michael back. And as my husband and I sat there with this binder that we had systematically put together, because no one investigated, not the police, no one. My husband and I were the two who 
talk to people. I mean, we investigated. We were not content to just be told our son was dead. And um, so after we left that meeting, we walked out to the car, and I just burst into tears. My husband had to help me in the car because it occurred to me, I mean, really just became so crystal clear that no one cared. The only people who were interested in the whys of all of this were those of us that loved Michael. So I spent the next two years grieving, and I had a horrendous, horrendous time after my son died. And and at the two-year mark, when we founded Brave, and I thought, all right, there is a right way to go about this and a wrong way. We chose not to sue. We chose not to litigate. And in many cases, you know, other parents make different choices. But uh, I am determined that we will make a difference. And there is a positive way to do this. Because if I want people to understand how my son broke, then I have to be willing to understand what drives people to be this abusive. And at the end of the day... Michael was a kid, and so was this other student. Mm-hmm. And it would, took me two years to get to that point. Would you, um, if you ever got a chance to talk to this other child, uh, which is now obviously an adult, um, would you want to? Well, would you want to for closure, for closure for him too? I have a feeling. I He lives, I mean... He, I know where he works. I know where he goes. I know where he goes to school. He goes mm-hmm. to the college, the same college that my other son goes to, the okay. same college that I speak at all the time. Okay. He is in my community. Yes. I don't know if I would actually want to talk to him, but if I, if I had the strength to be able, I have one question. I want to know why he targeted my child. What in the world possessed him to be so cruel? What in the world possessed him to think it's okay to abuse, harass, stalk, intimidate, bully, and then get the whole school involved? How did he pick Michael? That's the only question that I would want to know. I don't care what excuses he wants to give me. I want okay. to know why he picked my son. And they That's weren't friends, I, obviously. Uh, no, they ran it completely. This other kid was an absolute unmitigated thug, in and out of juvenile, the whole thing. And So um, would, would you then think um, uh, jealousy would be the case? What I've been, that's what I've been told by other students. Who know both? Mm-hmm. Who knew both kids? Because he, they're um, at the opposite end of the spectrum, if yes. if I understand it correctly. Yeah. And, and I, I it often would be funny. think they're mirror images of each other. So if one is really good and excels, and the other one always feels bad and left out, um, I, I would almost say that this bully was very fearful and had a very low self-esteem. Yes. 
And, you know, and which brings me to a big issue that I work here is, again, as an adult, someone with that adult record, Mm -hmm. if they wanted to move and live on my street, the police would have to let me know that this guy was moving in and was about to become my next-door neighbor. As a juvenile in our school, no one tells the parents. So here I'm sending my child to school thinking he's safe when in my, I would have never allowed Michael to be around someone like that. And yet the school has him sitting right there. And the schools do not have to tell other parents that their kid is in jeopardy. And, you know, and as parents, we have a right to know. And here, again, down here in this, we have what we call uh, the accountability report cards, which tell you everything. And I read, I read my kids one every single year. So every single year, they have to report, you know, the socioeconomic, the how many whites, how many blacks, how many this, how many that, uh, how many kids, you know, get a federally subsidized lunch, you know, all these things that have, like, really nothing to do with anything. Okay. But schools are now mandated to report peer abuse. They have to report how many kids get suspended for physically fighting. But the underbelly of society, the underbelly of our schools, they get a complete pass on. So if you're a parent like me, and you mm-hmm. read everything. Then you go up and you do the tours and you meet with the teachers and you make an informed decision to send your child there because yeah. we have open enrollment. So, and I did all of that. And to find out after the fact that this school has, is like an incubator of abuse, has huge problems with peer abuse. Mm-hmm. And you know what? No one talks about it. No one knows about it unless it's your kid that's being abused. So I very much am for mandated reporting to the same degree that teachers and healthcare providers have to report child abuse. I want the same kind of laws when it comes to peer abuse. Because had I known that Mariloma was an Mm -hmm. incubator of abuse, I wouldn't care how high the API scores, how prestigious the academics were. Because when it came to safety, that was my bottom line, to keep my but children We all safe. think that we send when we send our children to school, we all hope exactly. and presume that they are safe. Right. Uh, well, it's an inherent, you think they're kids, for goodness sake. Yeah, we do. <laughs> they are. <laughs> okay, yes. and I, I, I just want to point out to you about punishment that... Um, I'm from British Columbia. That's my base at the moment. And I was on the set at Fresno the day before I met you. And I heard the breaking news uh, about London, Ontario, where um, I think six to eight teenage girls were actually criminally charged for bullying for the first time, cyberbullying. So they were they were handcuffed. They were taken off the school premises. Now, this obviously sets a total different tone from anything we've seen so far. What is your thought on that? Well, 
something's got to get through to the parents because right now there are no consequences. I mean, there are none. And I am a firm believer for every action, there's a reaction. For every behavior, there's a consequence. So something's got to get through. And right now, this touchy-feely, restorative justice, oh, my goodness, they were just joking. They didn't know what they were doing. Oh, they came from a terrible environment. You know what? At the end of the day, that doesn't wash in the adult's world, and we need to start holding people accountable. So if we have teenagers, and I am not talking about teasing. I am talking about criminal peer abuse. And there is a big difference. I want to be real clear on that. But to arrest them, I think, you know what, maybe it'll be a wake-up call. Because I I know what happened to my son was criminal. And And and, Sorry, just so you know that there wasn't any suicide just yet. So I think that's positive, too. Oh, absolutely. But I think we need to get to the point. It's like anything else. When we want to deter a behavior... I mean, really deter it. Mm-hmm. We have really strict consequences for that behavior. Okay. And a slap on the hand isn't cutting it. But why so, don't we see this everywhere? Uh, I give you, when, when I was on tour in the United States, in California, here in Vancouver, in, in my town, we had a horrendous case of Amanda Todd. And right. this child was left alone to her own. I know home. it on a school premises, beaten and left in the gutter. Her father picked her up. Right. So I, I, when I hear this, I wonder what's wrong with every single human being that saw that. Me too. I really, really don't understand it because I thought that we lived in a society where we wouldn't want to see someone else in such pain. We only want to see right. things like that in Unreal movie scenarios. And in Europe, this is uh, criminal behavior. If I would leave a child or an adult in a gutter lying there without calling 911, I will be held accountable in Europe. I will and I think we, I agree. It is criminal behavior. And so we, what, need, why, why, we need to treat it as such. Exactly. But nobody was slapped on, on the wrist either. And then I want, I wanted you to know something before we're going in our next break is one more thing I want your thought on is the child then committed suicide, which is already horrendous enough. Then a website or sorry, a Facebook page got opened. Yeah. And that was again a sort of flood of bullying of, of, of us, meaning the public that then decides that the parents weren't good enough and whoever was, I mean, we no, are. No, oh, Gabriella, I, I live this. The day you and I met yeah. that I was on television, yeah. I got a phone call and I returned every phone call. So I thought it was a parent calling. I, re, I returned the phone call. Well, it was a parent, all right, to tell me that Michael's death was my fault, and she went on this tirade, and I thought, oh, my Lord, okay. And I just hung up on her. I mean, I get that not all the time, not like it used to be when I first started doing this two years ago. But the crazies come out, and they think they can say whatever they want, however they want, whenever they want. But this is not 
total freedom of speech. We're bullying back because we're cowards behind a computer. You got that right. Getting opinions out there that a parent is a parent, and I would never presume to attack the parents of Amanda while not even knowing them. Right. Because we have no idea. But again, I find the situation so sad because in Amanda's case, we had a chance mm-hmm. a chance to save her. We have to go and break. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They'll kill me. <laughs> We're going into break for a really short moment. Okay. Okay. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus. Creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on the Green Living Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. And we're back with Lisa Ford Berry and talking about bully side. And Lisa, in the commercial break, because we can't stop talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) We need five segments. Um, I would really like to ask you a little bit more about the cyberbullying that we were just talking about and about where do parents go? Because I have a feeling that parents really don't know that they can turn to the schools for this dilemma. Well, a lot of this has to do with when, when this happens at school or, you know, before school or, and then the fallout is at school. Um, a lot of the sticking ground, let me back up. A lot of the sticking ground is it will be, you know, they're at home or they're at the mall and they're on their phones. And the fallout then is the next day at school. Okay. So then when the parents go to school, the schools immediately do everything through whatever their own state ed code is. However, when you are dealing with cyber and there are any kinds of threats, not just saying, and, I, and I'm not minimizing how hurtful it is if someone says, you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that. But if they say there's a club that, you know, for example, what's going on down here in Southern California, the Kill Katie Club. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. The school. That has you need to go straight to the police. That is now under the penal code. If and parents don't do that. They're they deal with the school. Well, you know, the schools, most of them, they're not gonna call the cops. They sweep everything under this ed code, and the ed code has no teeth whatsoever. The ed code is not worth the paper it's written on 
when it comes to keeping your child safe and enforcing the other set of kids, parents, to follow the law. You need to go to the police for that. Now, if they are, like in my child's case, the whole uh, homophobic biased harassment, in Michael's case, it was the perception. Someone in this other student, I mean, literally, this was his, he thought it would be funny. So he started this whole movement that Michael was gay and then went into all the vile descriptiveness. Mm-hmm. Those violate federal laws, state laws, and the Ed Code. However, if you deal just with the school, again, they are not going to call the feds. They're not going to call the ACLU. They're not going to call the police. Um, this is where parents need to understand and to know. They need to be, if not as informed, more informed than the educators because there's many cases I tell parents, do not even mess around with the school. This is not a school issue. This is a legal issue. And mm-hmm. right now, I have five parents that I'm working with, two of which I've referred to the ACLU, and the ACLU is handling it. And, and you know, the ACLU down here is our big stick. When it so, comes tell me to your real quickly civil, what, it is, what, what is the ACLU? Uh, American Civil Liberties Union. So it's okay, all about it. our civil rights which are our federal laws. Gotcha. And in, in this country, the federal laws, anytime the feds get involved, that supersedes everything. And there's some teeth to it. So parents down here are suing civilly. They are suing the schools. They are suing the other parents. In some cases, they're suing the kids. And they are winning. Because when you have schools, which... Like I said, I have five parents I'm working with right now. And the feedback, the pushback is, hey, they need to work this out. Kids will be kids. You know what? It's not a big deal. Well, who gets to decide whether it's a big deal? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the schools, they do it because it's easy. And at the end of the day, easy doesn't cut it. You have to do what's right. And you have yeah. to stop this in the younger grades. But the and uh, needs to stand in front of the child. It needs to protect it. Yes. And, yes. and by all means. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Lisa, we have two minutes left, and I want to give you the opportunity for anyone who's listening, and especially because we're going to blast this out again through Facebook and all social media in a positive <laughs> sense. I want you to take a second, not too long, <laughs> and to... To say, what is the message? What's your passionate, passionate message to parents out there? What can they do so that this never happens to them? Oh, Gabriella, I have thought about this a lot, and I wish someone would have said this to me. Okay. The same diligence that we as parents apply to teaching our kids about strangers, teaching our kids you don't drink and drive, you don't do drugs, you don't smoke, all these other things that we talk to them about to keep them safe, to give them the tools how to handle certain situations. You need to start incorporating peer abuse into those conversations. You need to teach your kids 
role play. If this happens at school, if you receive a text message that, you know, says that's um, spammed or whatever they call it, you know, about another student, if you receive a naked picture of another girl, you don't participate by forwarding it. All these things that have become headlines in the news, you teach them that there are consequences to being a bystander. And every time you turn a blind eye to someone's hurt, that takes a chunk out of your own soul because you are guilty of doing nothing to help. I love the word silence is complicity because it really is. But we are not teaching this to children. But as long as they're reality shows and people seem to love drama of other people, we as a society are missing, missing the choice of life. And the adults need to start first so that the children at least have an example. Lisa, it was so great to have you on the show. I appreciate it. Being on, and I will definitely ask you back one more time. Oh, please do! My goodness, it's so nice, so great, and I really, really think that if we're not out there teaching this, and I think what we could do is maybe a segment sometime that is specifically for schools that they could maybe play in schools, because again, like you said, we are not teaching children how to be kind to each other, and not even start. No. Gabriella, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure to talk to someone that you don't have to explain it, that you already understand. In many cases, this is a life and death. I have definitely understood your message. Thank you so much. And we'll be All right, take care. Thank you, listeners out there. This is the end of the Mind Radio Show for today. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. It's your world.